Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. 478 new cases uh, in Ontario. Biggest one-day jump since May. Uh, and again, a lot of people are, you know, they're yelling about restaurants, they're yelling about lounges and bars, they're yelling about schools. That's not where it's coming from, folk. Those are controlled settings. They are controlled environments where it is only in the establishment's best interest to keep everybody safe. Otherwise, someone gets sick and they close the place down. So the difference here is with social gatherings where there is no uh, monitoring of protocol. There are no rules or regulations unless you uh, suggest them when people come into your house or you go to others and and follow the protocol. Uh, whereas when you go to school, there's a list of things you got to make sure of. And when you enter a bar or a lounge or any uh, shopping mall or a grocery store, there's protocol and etiquette that you have to follow, uh, less so in your backyard. So that's where uh, the majority of cases are, still 60 to 70% in the 20 to 40 age group. Uh, you can point fingers all you want and everything else, but let's be serious here. Uh, it's a relaxing of uh, protocols that have got us to where we are and things creeping up as we try to reopen uh, the economy back up. So again, uh, the messages are the same. Make sure that you keep your social distancing. Make sure that you're wearing a mask if you can't. Make sure you're washing your hands and, and, and do everything that's necessary to, to keep us, uh, from, from spiking this again. Uh, one of the issues with all of this, and we're certainly seeing this in the United States, is that researchers say that belief in conspiracy theories pose a massive barrier in controlling the spread of COVID-19. We've certainly seen that uh, around masking and such. Uh, interesting in Canada, a, a new poll out by Ipsos says 80 percent, 88 percent of Canadians oppose the anti-mask demonstrations that are going on and uh, believe that this is a part of the solution to keeping us all safe. Let's bring in Dan Romer, Research Director at the Annenberg Public Policy Center, University of Pennsylvania, and is with us now. Dan, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, thanks very much. So why do people buy into conspiracy theories? How do they, you know, again, I understand that there's certainly different uh, levels of information, different uh, avenues of information, but sooner or later we have to make the choice. Why do some people just choose to go against the status quo? Well, for a lot of people, it isn't really going against the status quo. It's the information environment they, they are in. Uh, for example, if they in this country, if they listen or watch a lot of uh, Fox News and other conservative outlets, they're going to hear uh, conspiracy theories uh, bandied about. Uh, we also have uh, members of the government who uh, suggest uh, things that are conspiratorial uh, in relation to the uh, to the epidemic. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of that going around and. I don't know if you have this problem in Canada, but here in the U.S., we have you know a real lack of consensus about what are the right things to do, and and sometimes people uh, uh, rely on these conspiracies as an excuse to not follow through with uh, recommended public health uh, policies. So again, you bring up a valid point there. Sometimes people use these as an excuse not to follow policy. Are people looking for a conspiracy theory so they don't have to comply? Well, we don't know that. Um, all we know is the, you know, when we ask people in surveys, do you believe these things, and then find out that the people who do are, you know, unlikely to, to take recommendations like wearing a mask or 
being willing to get vaccinated, it sort of leads us to believe that uh, whatever the reason, that's uh, part of the story for them. Um, we really have three kinds of people. We have the people who don't believe them at all. We have people who are very much uh, inclined to believe them. And then we have this vast group in the middle that might find one or two of these ideas uh, interesting because, you know, who really knows? And they're very hard to disprove. You know, like, can we disprove that uh, the Chinese somehow created this virus? Well, it's very hard to disprove that. There's no evidence for it, but how do you really say that it didn't happen? And so as long as there are people willing to start believing things like that, you know, it, it might give them a reason to not believe other things that, that they're being told. Uh, we're seeing cases uh, go up all over, uh, certainly seeing it across Canada. Uh, cases in the United States hit that uh, 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 that figure of 200,000. If you're a conspiracy theorist, how do you justify, do you just don't believe that 200,000 are dead? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think there are people who say uh, this is, uh, you know, unfortunate but that there are other um, priorities people have that uh, supersede doing something about it, that, you know, this is all up to the individual, and if you want to take your chances, go ahead. Don't wear a mask. Don't get vaccinated. Uh, you know, it's up to you. You know, we have a very strong individualistic uh, uh, ethos here in this country. I, I, I'm not sure it's quite as strong in Canada. As numbers creep up, do minds change or just more justification of the conspiracy? Well, we saw the conspiracy, belief in the conspiracies actually went up in our study from uh, March to July. And that was during a period, for sure, where deaths increased. So it doesn't look as though that's a big factor. We thought it might be, but uh, they're still they're still growing. I don't know what it's like today. We haven't done another survey yet, but... Um, It'll be interesting to see if they've sort of, uh, you know, declined based on your your hypothesis. You know, looking at the world and seeing 200,000 deaths, uh, doesn't that incline you to want to do something? Is the conspiracy worldwide? I mean, if you're in a certain country, whether it's Canada or America, are you, are you listening to just your own situation or are you looking at how this has affected the entire world? Is that yeah, all a hoax, I, I guess, too? Yeah, we don't know that for sure. I, uh, I assume people are aware of the fact that uh, here in the U.S. we're probably the worst off, but I'm sure we all hear about what's going on in Europe, uh, Spain, and uh, in Italy and places like that, U.K., where it's going back up again. We hear less about Canada for some reason. I don't know. You guys may be uh, doing better than we are. Uh, we, well, we've been doing well for a while, but the last couple of weeks, man, we've, we've started to see cases start to pop up again, right? The way, uh, across the country, uh, across the country. What about vaccination, Dan? I mean, many say that the world isn't going to get back to any sort of sense of, uh, of normalcy until there is a vaccination. Once there is, are people going to get it? We know the whole anti-vaxxer movement. That's right. Yeah. Well, we found that the people who believe the conspiracies also are more inclined for whatever reason, to also believe that vaccines are harmful. So this is a pattern of thinking um, in which people don't trust uh, public health authorities, don't trust the government to tell them the truth. And so they also are likely to believe that vaccines can actually be harmful. 
So it's going to be a real challenge to try to overcome those kinds of concerns uh, as we move into the era where we need to get vaccinated. And uh, hopefully we can, um, you know, have an information campaign that reassures people uh, about the safety. And, of course, that's going to depend on whether the vaccine companies do a good job of uh, testing them, making sure they really do work. Because what you don't want is some adverse re- uh, reactions. You know, some people claiming that they got ill because of the vaccine. Then the whole thing goes really haywire. You talked about not trusting institutions. How does that trust get won back? How do you change that? Yeah, it's a tough call. Uh, it's not, it's probably not something you can do overnight. And uh, I wish I knew the answer to that. But I think especially in our country, uh, we've had problems with that. And we have a very divided political system right now. Our, our situation is not easy to cope with. And so when you're in a polarized environment, it's difficult to trust one side or the other, uh, especially when the other side in your mind is 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 the side you don't trust. <laughs> is this all about leadership? Can a solidifying, uniting leader bring this together? It seems we live in a world of divisiveness now. And in some situations, the pandemic has united people, but others not. Uh, how do you unite? How do you unite us again? It's going to be difficult. I think, you know, we have an election coming up here and uh, there's a lot of people who think that uh, the Democratic candidate would be able to do a better job in terms of uniting uh, the country behind a strategy to, to cope with the pandemic. But again, that's, uh, you know, we, we'll need to see how that goes. Dan Romer has been with us, Research Director at the Annenberg Public Policy Center, University of Pennsylvania. Dan, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. You too. Thanks. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Dr. Samuel Vissier, uh, Assistant Professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Co-Director of the Culture, Mind, and Brain Power Program and Associate Member of the Department of Anthropology, McGill University, and is with us now. Doctor, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. We've certainly heard that uh, life will not get back to any sense of normal until or normalcy since uh, until there is a vaccination. Once there is one, how concerned are you that people will not get it? Is the anti-vaxxer movement alive and well during a pandemic? Well, yes, I'm certainly concerned about the rise and spread of you know conspiracy theories, and I would say on all sides of the political spectrum, and you know, anxieties about vaccination is one of them. Um, but I'd be happy to, you know, talk a little bit about why, you know, people believe in conspiracy theories, you know, if, if you're interested. Yeah, let's go there. What, why do people head down this road? Is it, and we were talking about this a little bit with the last, with our last guest, is it people just don't want to comply so they find a reason suitable to justify their position? Or is it they honestly believe that, that, that there is harm in this? Yeah, so my fear as an evolutionary anthropologist who studies the evolution of the human mind and brain is that it is the latter. And, you, you, you know, the, the short answer to this question is that, you know, the human mind already works kind of like a conspiracy theory. And in fact, most of what most people believe, probably myself included, is basically like a minimally enriched conspiracy theory at best. And the reason for this is that the mind is very, very, very bad at dealing with complexity and uncertainty. It's sort of allergic to complexity, but at the same time, humans are all obsessed with, you know, society, politics, and health. 
But if you take something like a society, a political system, uh, or an epidemic, these are all exceedingly complex systems with tons of moving parts. And the mind is really not good at seeing the big picture. So, you know, people, they like stories with a single cause. And usually, especially in times of, you know, rising uncertainty like now, you know, they like to look for personified culprits. So one thing or one cause, so they'll blame, you know, I don't know, their parents, but they could also blame gluten or, you know, Donald Trump or aliens. And that's the the sort of basic (laughs) recipe for, you know, yeah, how we come to believe most things about most things, unfortunately. Is this just our minds being critical thinkers? We want to look at all angles. We want to make sure it's safe. It's, you know, I mean, it's the, the fight or flight sort of mentality. We want to make sure all our bases are covered. Well, you know, to an extent, but what we know from cognitive science is that people are not critical thinkers, which is why critical thinking requires, like, difficult and counterintuitive training. This is why it's, you know, difficult Mm. to become wise. But again, the problem with things like the pandemics or, or even the elections is that it's become fairly obvious, I think, to most people that politicians, doctors, scientists don't really have a clue in terms of what's going on. So that searches people that, you know, that pushes people to look for simple answers elsewhere, and that's part of the problem. And then the next problem, as your previous guest was mentioning, is that humans are very tribal, you know, polarized creatures as well. So people care more about the source than the content of information, typically. Um, So, you you know, they'll, they'll pick their information based on whatever political tribe they can affiliate with. So how do you explain, and this is more so in the United States perhaps than in Canada, a recent poll in Canada, 80, 88% oppose those anti-maskers that are demonstrating. Uh, so we seem to be a little bit more uh, cooperative up here. Um, but, uh, you know, down in, in other places like the United States, for example, uh, the conspiracy theories run rampant and we've seen uh, less trust in institutions, whether it's mm-hmm. medical, financial, uh, political, what have you. How do you explain the lack of trust in institutions? Well, America in many more ways is a more individualistic society, and individualism places a higher burden of choice on the individual in terms of decision-making, you know, and in terms of belief. So, so you know, this is one of the reasons, basic mechanisms, why there's less trust in public institutions. But again, to put things back in historical context, since the 2016 Trump election, you know, the divisions have never been so sharp. And in Canada, we're, we're, we're feeling the repercussions of this, these divisions. But fortunately, as you point out, there's much more trust, you know, in, well, in one another as citizens, but also in our political institutions that have been demonstrated to be a little more stable. You know, as we've talked about many times on this show, we live in a very divisive world. It seems that there's nobody agrees to disagree anymore. Either you're on that side or you're on that side, and the extremes have taken over, and the middle has has kind of gone silent. Uh, Many times a crisis, a war, a pandemic, as in this case, will unite people. Uh, Is that happening here? Well, to some extent, the COVID crisis has united people, you know, worldwide, there's been a lot of cooperation, there's been a lot of, you know, you know, mutual help, you know, even help from governments and charity, but unfortunately, it has also divided people, because people don't seem to agree on the basic meaning of the pandemic, on the explanatory model to understand where the virus comes from, like how dangerous it is, whether or not lockdown measures are warranted, and so on and so forth. So we're seeing both more unity, but also more division, and it's difficult to predict where this is going to go now. 
Uh, the United States hitting a, uh, a, a significant number uh, image-wise in the United States with 200,000 dead now from COVID-19. How do the conspiracy theorists justify that number? How, those people didn't die. What, they died of something else. How do you, how do you balance that? Well, I would say, you know, by attempting to be uniting rather than divisive, that, you know, if you look at the epidemiological debates, it's not, you know, scientists themselves don't necessarily agree on, on, you know, the exact like infection fatality rates, you know, and so on and so forth. But the, the, the scientific debate has been very polarized, you know, in the media and on social media because people have tended to pick one side. And, and it's a very silly equation, sort of either Trump or not Trump. So, so in fact, there, there, you know, there are many people who are you know, asking nuanced questions about, for example, you know, like, has there been European countries that have been worse hit than the United States? Well, it is the case. You know, we know Belgium, you know, the UK, and so on, for, for example. But now it's become almost impossible uh, to, to sort of, you know, ask any questions about the COVID crisis because it's either you're like, you know, you're not a COVID believer and you're, and you're a Trump supporter or you're, you're a full catastrophizer and you're a liberal. And there ought to be room for, for nuance and for conversation in the middle. And that's, that's really the, the part of the problem. How difficult is it the fact that this is a very fluid situation? It is always changing. People are asking questions that there really are no answers to. People are expecting government uh, to make decisions that there again, there's no playbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that th- does that uh, thrive in a conspiracy theorist mind? Um, the fact that we're in a completely new environment does that not? you know, make people settle down just a little bit and, and understand that we're all kind of working together and we're all trying to wade through this together? Well, one would hope, but unfortunately, a lot of novelty means more unpredictability, more complexity, more uncertainty, and these are precisely the moments when the human mind will apply its filters and hone in on, on you know, the simple, catchy narrative that is easy to remember, that makes sense, and typically, again, one in which there are culprits. Uh, so again, it is the case that there have been 200,000 dead in the U.S., but it, it's a little simplistic to blame it on one politician or on one party because, again, it's, it's very complex. And social media, the fact that people are constantly connected to you know, an overabundance of information and of negative information online is not helping because the, the, the last thing about the human mind is that it loves negative information that you know, conveys cues about threats because this, is, this was once important for our survival. So we know that News headlines that have, you know, more catastrophizing scenarios, they generate more clicks and more shares and so forth. So there's a lot of uh, spread of fear. And as fear and uncertainty spread, then again, people, they want simple answers. They want the truth. Advice for Canadians who are trying to wade through this as we see cases tick up. Well, I would say uh, counterintuitively, Try to refrain from reading too much news about COVID and, and really just perhaps limit yourself to, you know, once weekly or at the most, you know, once daily information that comes straight from your local public health authorities. You know, because, again, it's been well demonstrated in Canada that our authorities have been very competent. But to really refrain from, you know, engaging in debates on social media about how dangerous things are um, and to try to have, uh, you know, as safely as possible, just offline, face-to-face conversation with, you know, loved ones and friends, you know, to, to depolarize a little.
Dr. Samuel Vessier has been with us, assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry, co-director of the Culture, Mind, and Brain Program, and an associate member of the Department of Anthropology, McGill University. Doctor, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.